Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Dennis. Beats his tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three and three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, what is going on? Welcome to welcome to Cannell and Bell presented by Citizen. I am here. So Raja already like was laughing out loud when he saw my look. I am on a vacation. <laughs> On a ski trip, so I am appropriate for the climate that I'm in. Who did you yes. say I look like? Look, I thought you looked like Remy from Higher Learning, like the old Michael Rappaport. <laughs> That's awful. He's the skinhead dude, right? The yeah, guy who lost the, it? Yeah. All he, he just wanted to be down. He just wanted to be down. Exactly. He was just looking for some friends. All right. Hopefully yeah. I don't look that bad. Uh, we have a big show for you. A lot of stuff we got to get to. We got Pete Prisco from the Combine. We're going to get into Johnny Manziel getting cut. What does it mean? ton of NBA talk. But we do have people in Indianapolis, including our buddy Pete Frisco. Let's bring him in and join us. Uh, welcome into Off the Bench and get it started. Kyler Murray has officially weighed in. I think it's huge. His height comes in over 5'10 at 5'10 and at 8. He weighs in at 207. I can't believe we're at this point, and I think it's a good thing because I think if he was 5'9, we all be up in arms. But I think this is the first win for Kyler Murray in this combine process. Don't you think so, Pete? Look, I've been coming to this thing for 30 years now, and never in my wildest dreams would I sit here and say, "Oh, we could applaud a quarterback being five foot ten." I mean, oh, first round talent quarterback, five foot ten. You got to be kidding me, right? Uh, that's how the game has changed, and I get it. I like I like what I see from Kyler Murray. I think he's a a fun kid to watch. I think he can make all the throws. I think he can get outside the pocket and create with his legs. But think about that for a second. If I told you. A year ago, right? I said, you got a quarterback who's going to start for a year. You got, he's five foot ten. He's barely 200 pounds. He probably pumped a lot of weight to get to 200 for this. Uh, and you're going to take him in the top 10 of this draft. You would have told me I was nuts. Yeah. I mean, I, I, th- I find it fascinating too, Pete. I don't necessarily mind it, but I do think it's really fascinating. And my question was, and I don't know that you can answer it was, what was the magic number for Kyler Murray like this morning? What, what, what was the number? At which teams were going to feel comfortable maybe taking a swing at him in the first round. Was it, you know, five, nine and a half? Did he need to be five, nine and three quarters? It, was there a number? Well, I think five, ten was the number everybody wanted to see. But again, I go back to what I asked Brady before in our previous segment. What if he was five, eight and a half? Does that mean you don't draft him? Everybody sits here and says, oh, height doesn't matter. Height doesn't matter. Well, if he was five, eight and a half, say an inch and a half smaller, would you still have drafted him in the top 15? That's the question I got to go out and ask some personnel guys because I'm curious about that. You know, we keep hearing, oh, height doesn't matter anymore. That's not true. It still matters. You'd rather have a guy who's six foot three. Uh, but so if he was five foot eight and a half, would he have been pinged and automatically been pushed down as a second rounder? But height doesn't matter. So an inch and a half isn't going to make it any difference. I do think there's a perception. There's just something about a five nine in front of there. I do think this is a win for Kyler Murray. And you mentioned about him pumping weight. I don't know if you can pump weight that much. I guarantee he was drinking gallons and gallons of water because you can get that water weight. You could put on three or four extra pounds. And I think that's the more important thing to me because he, he sees the field fine when he's playing at Oklahoma. And he's got a big offensive line. Now, they protected him really well. But really, when you look at guys that throw, even if you're 6'4", most offensive linemen are 6'5", 6'6", and they're big in front of you. It's not like you see over them. Good quarterbacks, no matter how big you are, Spine passing lanes, or they anticipate. Drew Brees anticipates. If he can't see something, he knows where the receiver's going to be, so he throws it to an area. So I think in the bigger scheme, like it's what do you put on film, 
And I do think the more important thing for me is durability. Can he survive a 16-game season? And again, this is a step in the right direction if that's a concern for you because of the 207. I, let me ask you guys a question, yeah, right? I'm going to relate it to... Go ahead, go ahead, Pete. Yeah. Roger, I want to say something to you. I want to say something to you because I'm going to relate it to your sport, the NBA. Uh, when when Spud Webb and Muggsy Bogues are playing in the NBA, oh, everybody, look, it's great. They can play point guard at five foot four, or five foot three, or five foot five, or whatever they were. But when they got on the defensive end, they got posted up every darn time. And that meant you had to double, and then you had to get the kick out. Somebody was getting an open shot. If you're small for the position... Ultimately, something is going to show up that's going to affect the way you play the game. It's no different with the quarterback position. You know, you mentioned Drew Brees, Danny, and we've talked about this. Drew Brees is threw over, told me he threw over a hundred passes two years ago where he didn't see his receiver because he anticipates. Well, he has to anticipate because he's short. So ultimately, you can be five foot ten and maybe get away with it, but there are going to be things that you cannot do that a bigger quarterback can do. Hey, let me ask you, Pete, about Steve Kime and the Cardinals, right? Obviously, you know, they have the number one pick in the draft, and they came out yesterday, and it was kind of, it was an interesting statement because they asked him about, uh, Josh Rosen being the starter, and the, the comment, I guess the quote was like, he is right now. Um, and Cliff Kingsbury's been on record as having said, you know, if, if he had a first pick in the draft, he'd take Kyler Murray. What do you imagine they do with that? Do you think this is just them trying to kind of drive the price up to get somebody else to swing at Kyler, or do you think there's some interest maybe? Cause it was a really cryptic, quote he didn't necessarily go out and big stamp of approval for josh rosen yeah but we had uh steve kime on the show and i interviewed him yesterday and uh on our network and and he pretty much was committed to josh rosen now talking to him uh away from things look they haven't done the work yet on all these quarterbacks it's still in the process so there this is kind of the start of the process for for them to really get it going and to see if there's somebody in this draft that they like more than josh rosen and and look when, when Kingsbury said that about Kyler Murray, he was getting ready to play him. You know how coaches are. They always pump up the opposition before you play him and hope to tear him down when they get on the football field. So I think Rosen is their guy. Now, are they open to trading down? Yes. If they had guys that, like, say Jacksonville was enamored with one of the quarterbacks and wanted to get to number one, would they trade down and get extra picks? Absolutely. But I, if you pin me down right now in talking to the Cardinals people, if they had to make the pick right now, I think it would be Nick Bosa. Yeah, I'm with you, Pete. I think a lot of it's just a smokescreen. I think it's kind of where we are today with social media. You say something, and if he says he is right now, I think that's on time, though. To, you got to know better than that. Like, if you're not, if you're fully committed to Josh Rosen, I think you do have to say that. And I know he said it before, but I think it just kind of speaks to where we are now with social media. Like, we hear one little phrase, and we're going to run with it because you can write a whole article on it. You can get clicks if you say, oh, what does this mean for Steve Kahn? Um, let's move on and look at the uh, the Eagles because they decided to not place the tag on Nick Foles, and they're getting praised as this team that did the right thing for a player that has meant so much to the organization. I think it speaks more about the the, fran- the transition tag on Nick Foles within twenty seven million, his salary within twenty million. I don't think any of those numbers make sense for the Eagles. Do you think it's more than that, or do you think this was really the Eagles doing the quote right thing for Nick Foles? They didn't do the right thing for Nick Foles. Right. They did the right thing for the Philadelphia Eagles, like every team does. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They have cap issues. I mean, they have, they're close to the cap. They're going to have to, you know, 
prepare some guys and get rid of some guys to get under the cap. They did what's best for the Philadelphia Eagles. They threatened to tag him, right, and put the franchise tag on him with the idea that maybe if they did that, they could get some market out there to trade for Nick Foles. And when they realized they couldn't do that, there wasn't going to be a, a tag and trade, they said, you know what, we're not going to put the tag on him. No team does anything for a player. Let's let's straighten that out right away. What they do for a player is they hope they sign him to a good contract and he he gives them what the value of that contract is. They couldn't bring Nick Foles back. They were never franchising, tagging him. It was just a bad situation. This is an aside to that, but you have Carson Wentz in a situation where you had players come out in a story saying that they didn't think Carson Wentz was all in on the, as a team and it was more about himself. You bring Nick Foles back on a franchise tag and he signs it because he would sign it right away and you're stuck with him. You have him in the locker room. That creates a whole nother uh, b- bunch of problems. So, no, they didn't do anything for Nick Foles. What they did was good for the Philadelphia Eagles. Pete, well, you, you just said there was no real market that they could drum up for Nick Foles in like the tag and the trade scenario. So what do you imagine like his, his market is in free agency? Like what, what type of teams would be out there that are going to be wanting to pay Nick Foles the type of money he's going to want to, to lead their team? I think it's a very limited market. I'll be honest with you. I, I think when you look at the market as is right now, Jacksonville is uh, atop that market. And I don't know how much they love him. I, I think there's a split inside that building. Uh, I think Dave Caldwell and, and Doug Marone, the, the head, the general manager and head coach probably would lean more to signing Nick Foles. And, and I think that number is not going to be nearly as high as we thought it would be. Maybe 16, 17 million per year rather than 21, 22 million per year. Uh, but I think Tom Coughlin, who has a little more stability inside the building and and probably could hang around if they have a bad season, would lean more to taking a quarterback. And I think Dwayne Haskins is that guy. So I don't know where the market is for Nick Foles. I, I you know, in fact, I told some Jacksonville people the other day. I said you're probably going to be competing against yourself. Don't drive the number up. You could probably get him for fifteen, sixteen million if you indeed want him and want to go in that direction. Pete, before we get to Eli Manning's status as a starter for the Giants and what's going on with the G-Men, I want you to paint a picture for people who don't know what it's like at the Combine. And I'm not talking about what goes on the field because everybody can watch that on TV. But it seems like there are two spots. It's Prime 47 and St. Elmo's. And if you go into either one of those places, that's where like the juicy stuff happens. Can you paint a picture for the listeners or the you know people listening to our podcast about what it's like at Indianapolis outside the Combine? Yeah, oh yeah, it's it's the biggest convention in the National Football League. Everybody's here. Scouts, personnel people, coaches, everybody, the entire staffs. And so it becomes a, a gossip convention and a football arguing convention. And most of that happens after 10 o'clock at one of those venues you mentioned. And, and the reason is because a lot, or, or what happens is some guys go during their break and have dinner at St. Elmo's. Then they go back and have their interviews with the guys. Uh, you know, you get so much time to interview each guy and then they come back out and go to another place prime and 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 that's when they have a few adult cocktails and that's when the rumors start flying and deals get done because there's agents all over the place too i mean the agents are doing deals as well i mean anybody who thinks that free agency doesn't start until uh you know two weeks from now is out of their mind these deals are getting done right now it's called tampering but nobody pays any attention to <laughs> so let's hey, let's talk about the eli situation in in new york um you know, obviously Shermer came out and said he proved that last year if he had better players around him, he could still contribute to a winning team. Like, what do you think his status is going forward there as, as possibly the starter in New York? 
Well, I think he'll open the season as the starter, and I think they're going to draft the guy. And, and they blew it last year by not drafting a the quarterback. They should have taken Sam Darnold instead of Saquon Barkley. They'd be in, sitting in a situation now where they have their long-term guy. They don't. So I think they do draft one. And, and if you draft, it'll be one of those situations where Manning will play a couple games, just like when Kurt Warner was there when he came in. Then you sit him down, and all of a sudden he takes over. I, I think Dwayne Haskins is a possibility as well for the Giants uh, in that situation. They picked number six. They might have to make a little move to go up as well. So, I, look, Manning will start the season, and Manning didn't have the as bad a season as people portraying him, him as having last year. He had a bad line. He had no receivers at times when Beckham went down. Uh, so I think he's going to be back. He's going to play three or four games, and if they draft a guy, he'll take over. Yeah, I think I think uh, he's definitely coming back. I think it's clear that the Giants feel that way, and I do think they take a quarterback to groom underneath them. Um, last question. With, with Kyler Murray really seemingly dominating a lot of the conversation, like around us and on other shows that you're watching, what is the second most traction, like the second storyline that everybody's following? Is it Bosa's health? Is it another player? Is there something else that people are talking about that's not Kyler Murray? Well, a couple things. I think the depth of the defensive line is one thing that everybody's talking about. You mentioned Bosa, you got Williams, you got Josh Allen. I mean, there are a ton of, you got Polite, you got Burns from your school at Florida State. There are a ton of pass rushers jockeying to be, you know, maybe the second guy, third guy behind Bosa. And I think Allen will be number two. Uh, so those guys are, uh, that's part of the talk. And then the lack of skill players. I mean, you look at this draft and there are no elite runners. You know, we've had elite runners the last couple of years. There are no elite runners in this draft. I like Jacobs. The the runner from Alabama, he's probably going to go in the first round, but he's probably the only one. And there are no elite receivers. I mean, you talk about this receiving class, there are major questions across the board. So you talk to the personnel guys and scouts, and they all say, look, somebody's going to come here and run a good time. It may be DK Metcalf. If he runs a good time, he could probably move himself up into the top 15, top 20. But if he doesn't, then there are major questions about him as well. So I, I think the lack of skill players uh, I say skill players. Now, I, I do want to say this. The tight end position is loaded. I'm talking about receivers and running backs. Uh, the tight end position is outstanding, probably six, seven deep. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Appreciate it, man. Go enjoy the uh, the rest of the festivities there in Indy. You got it. See you guys. All right. Raja, the dude that he was talking about, the receiver there, DK Metcalf, he's the guy that had the viral picture that we talked right. about on our show. That was that big I dude? Think yeah, the big yeah. dude who's chiseled, who's like 6'4". He's 6'3 and 3'8". He weighed in 6'3 and 3'8", 228. His hand was almost 10 inches. Uh, wingspan was 82 and 7'8". Oh. If he does lay down a good 40, like 4'4-something, and if he, if he does 4'3", it'd be off the charts. But if he lays a 4'4-something, I think he'll be the first uh, wide receiver taken, which is pretty insane. Instead, he's been hurt. He's been battling injuries. I just wanted to recap something Pete said about Muggsy Bogues and Spud Webb and some of these other NBA players. Even if you go recently to Isaiah Thomas, when he was with the Celtics, when he was tearing it up, they said he was a liability on defense. Yeah. You know the good thing about Kyler Murray? Guess what he doesn't have to do? do play defense. Play defense. <laughs> exactly. Now, I get his point. I get his point. He's, you know, hey, there's going to be some limitations you have, but we've come so far that you don't like I don't think I think there are some old school teams. I would put the Jacksonville Jaguars as one of those with Tom Coughlin. I think he has a certain mark and he's like, I'm not taking a quarterback under six two. It's against everything I stand for. I do think there is some old guard teams and front offices that feel that way. But absolutely I think Kyler Murray is gonna be a guy that's taken high because of the new NFL. And I think it's a great thing. And I think it's good for guys that are playing high school or great or when they start playing football. It was always like, well, you're not tall enough to be a quarterback. And think about what we've missed out on because guys weren't allowed to play the position because they weren't tall enough or didn't look the part. 
And now we're at a totally different thing, which I think is great. I think we'll see electric players actually playing quarterback because of it. Yeah, I think it's cool that they open it up for for guys of different uh, statures to be able to be productive at a position and, and have an opportunity to play at the next level. And I look, I know how Pete feels. You probably feel the same way. It, Cliff Kingsbury. Now I know that you say you know great stuff about your opponent, and, and there's that that there's that philosophy that we want to you know put him up on this pedestal, make him feel great about themselves. But I watched that interview, and I do really think that he feels strongly about. Uh, what this kid's able to do with the ball. Like, I think he was actually, you know, being pretty genuine in, in that, that interview about, about Kyler Murray's ability. And I'm just saying, if you're going to bring him in to reinvent the offense and make the Arizona Cardinals exciting and somewhat relevant, um, I, I don't think you can just gloss over the fact of taking that kid number one or the potential to take him at number one. If you can get, you know, another first round pick, uh, for Josh Rosen, like, you know, you, I'm just saying, you don't gloss over, because Cliff Kingsbury coming in, he had a losing record in college, he got a head job in the NFL, the only reason you're bringing him in is to kind of reinvent the offense at the NFL and flip this thing on its ear, so I wouldn't just throw aside or cast aside the notion of taking Kyler Murray at number one if I was Arizona. You know what I think this is more about, if there is truth to Arizona possibly moving on from Josh Rosen, I think it says more about Josh Rosen than it does about Kyler Murray. Now, all those things you said are true. Like, Cliff Kingsbury may love him, but you don't see teams give up on a first-round quarterback as fast as they've given up on Josh Rosen. But if you remember, Josh Rosen was a pretty polarizing figure. He loved yeah. it. He's brash. He's outspoken. Remember, he, remember he, the night of the draft when he was drafted by Arizona, he's like, all these other dudes are scrubs, and I'm better than them, and I should have been taking over right. them. I, he's, his leadership has always been something that's been questioned about Josh Rosen. I wonder if this is more about their lack of confidence and faith in Josh Rosen than it is for their love of Kyler Murray. And maybe it's both. Maybe it's a little bit of both, that they're willing to at least like float these little subtle rumors and little subtle phrases like Steve Kime had the other day. They're willing to float those just in case there is that perfect deal that comes out there. It wouldn't be surprising to me at all if it's more if it's it's the combination of Kyler Murray's insane athlete, fun, he could totally uh, you know take the NFL by storm. And a, and a lot of this also could be Josh Rosen has not exactly thrived in Arizona as well. So I think it could be a little bit of both. Danny, yeah, absolutely. But make make no mistakes. Like when you have Steve Kime in front of microphones, those guys are polished. I mean, their job is to go in. No, it is. Their job is to go in and tell a coach what to say, like word for word, to make sure they leave no openings uh, for the media to jump on and start you know, this, this news cycle of what, what he could have meant. So that, you know, that's a GM's job to make sure coaches don't do that. So when they come out and they make open ended statements like he is right now, they, he knows what he's doing, right? And so I'm with you, um, with, with the Josh Rosen. I actually was one of the guys who liked Josh Rosen. I, I think he's a good player. I think that chip on his shoulder, um, it, 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 he just happens to be one of the guys who wears it wrong. Like I think a lot of guys have it and some people we, you know, we, we love for it and some people we, we, we hate for it. Uh, I think he's one of the guys that just for some reason, maybe it's the way his face is, like we just hate him for it. I like the chip on your shoulder. I'm simply saying with the Cliff Kingsbury thing, Maybe he doesn't fit the style. That's a style of play. That's a commitment to playing offense a certain way. And you know, like I know, Danny, every quarterback doesn't fit into every system. So if he's a guy that you've already identified is not going to fit that system, um, that, that's kind of what I'm looking at it more than maybe his attitude. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. 
Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Back to Canel and Bell. So the NBA was in action last night. The Lakers played. Remember, Rajah was talking about they're either up high or they're down here. Yeah. Well, they are right on top of the mountain. LeBron James, after the game, puts out an Instagram post like, this is a good life. And Maverick Carter comments on there, like, started from the bottom. Now you're on top. Like, it's unbelievable how up and down they get. But they did play the Pelicans, a team they lost to uh, not that long ago without Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis does play, but it's sparingly. He only played 21 minutes. More importantly, when it was crunch time, you know, the game's on the line down the stretch. He's not on the floor. I don't know. It's, it's just become laughable. Now, apparently, they did agree on the minutes that he's going to play. But, I mean, if you're the NBA, you've got to be livid. Or I don't know if they're mad or embarrassed at the way the situation has unfolded. But ultimately, it's just a bad look to not want to have your faces of the leagues on the floor who didn't play at all in the fourth quarter. Well, look, and you're in a really weird situation because, again, when you were in the collective bargaining agreement, you didn't foresee this. Like, the NBA couldn't have foreseen uh, uh, that the new rules, players were going to take advantage and start demanding trades, you know, midway through deals, uh, threatening teams not to resign with them and having that team lose them for nothing. Um, so it kind of left teams in a weird spot because they didn't anticipate this happening. The team has no real leverage. So I've already said I support this. If a guy's told you he's not in your future, doesn't want to be a part of your team, you need to move him, and you can't find a suitable trade partner before the trade deadline. Um, unless I'm playing for a championship or I'm, I'm right in the mix in, in the playoff hunt, I, I'm sitting him down. Uh, I'm going to get my younger players an opportunity to play. I'm going to also enhance my chances of getting a higher pick in the draft, and I'm going to protect that asset so I can trade him in the, in the postseason. So I'm fine with this from the team's perspective, and if I was the league, although it might be a bad look in the short term, um, if players know they're going to get treated like this potentially, maybe you'll have less guys come out and make it a public thing. They'll do a better job of keeping it in-house, keeping it a private matter, not stripping the club of its leverage when it comes to trying to trade an asset like Anthony Davis. Do you, what do you, do you have any ideas of a solution? Like, I, I don't know if there is because if you didn't pay him, if you, like, let's say Anthony Davis said, I want out, I want to trade. And he was like, all right, we're not going to play you, but we're not going to pay you either. You could sit out the entire year and you could say, hey, that could cost you $20 million. The money that he's already made and the money that he makes from shoe companies is so significant that it's not really that big of a deal. So he could be like, all right, I'll just wait and you don't have to play me. I honestly don't know if there is a solution that makes everybody happy. I mean, have you thought at all about anything that could resolve problems like this? Because you're always going to have disgruntled players. And unless you yeah. do like the NFL does and just like, well, screw you, you have to play. And whether you like it or not, then it's just it's going to continue to crop up. These situations are going to continue to crop up for the top tier players that aren't happy where they are. Yeah, well, you can't. I mean, you're not going to be able to take his pay from him as long as he's willing to come there and go to and go to work. Right. And the guy wants to play. Um, my solution to it wouldn't be to, like, start putting rules in effect where you can dock someone's pay and stuff like that. It's a simple thing. Don't put your team on blast. Okay, like you don't have to put your team out in the media with your trade demand. If you privately go to New Orleans and tell them that you have no desire to re-sign in New Orleans, the situ- you, you still have the same leverage, Danny. Like that team now knows that they are on the clock for you, and if they do not make this trade, 
before your deal expires that they will lose you for nothing. So if you just don't go out and publicly embarrass the team and cut their legs out from under them, you can you can get the same desired effect. Give them your list of five teams that you want to go to. All of that can still be achieved behind closed doors, and it doesn't have to become this public uh, shaming of of New Orleans or whatever other. You know, it's usually a smaller city and a smaller franchise um, uh, that it becomes when you go to the media with it. So that would be my solution. Just look, go to your team, go to its general manager, the owner, tell them, look, it's been a great seven years. I no longer want to play here. I will not resign with you guys um, at the end of this deal. So it's in your best interest to get me moved before then. Here's a list of my five teams and nobody has to be the wiser. Yep, for sure. All right, I don't know if there's going to be any solution anytime soon, but we'll have to keep an eye on that one. So the Lakers do win, and so I'm officially on record as saying I don't think they make the playoffs. They get the win. They're still uh, 10th in the West. They're two games behind in the loss column. Uh, But their schedule, to me, is what's brutal, and they better make some hay over the next five games. But they play the Bucks against Giannis, who's incredible. Suns, they could win. Clippers matters in the race. Nuggets are one of the better teams in the West, and they have the Celtics. And then they have five games on the road. They have the seventh hardest remaining schedule. I'm still sticking to it. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, is this a Patriots and Brady type situation where I bet against them in the playoffs every week and they kept proving me wrong? And I'm not saying that I think LeBron and the Lakers are going to make a, a championship push. But it always kind of is in the back of my mind, like, man, it's crazy to bet against LeBron and what he can do out there on the court. Yeah, I mean, that's always got to be in the back of your head because of what he's been able to do with rosters that he's had in the past. But he's not the same player anymore. He's still remarkable, but he's not the same player anymore. Um, and they've given you real, they've really given you no reason to think that they're going to be able to do this. They've been so inconsistent. Uh, they did find a nice stretch of basketball before LeBron got injured where I think they were up to maybe fourth in the West and they were winning some games. But since then and before that, they were just an inconsistent basketball team and, and, to some degree, you are what your record says you are, right? Like, they went from a 3% chance before the game last night to a 5% chance. It's still wise of you not to bet on the Lakers, Danny. They've given you no indication that they're going to get it together on a nightly basis. Um, you know, they, 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 they have a tough stretch. I think they got the fifth toughest, you know, schedule left in the NBA. Like, the deck is, like, stacked against them. Um, and while they have moments, like to win games in the NBA and to string wins together, which is ultimately what they have to do. They can't just win one, lose one, win one, lose one. The other teams that are ahead of them can do that. They've got to win. They got to put four or five together, lose one. Like put two together, you know, lose one. String three together, maybe lose two. They can't afford to go night to night to night, which is what they've done for a long time. They're just inconsistent. So the Celtics have continued to just be an absolute mess. And I think a lot of it comes to the dysfunction in the locker room. After the game, Kyrie was talking to the reporters, and again, I think he gives too much information and too much ammunition for haters and doubters of the Celtics. Listen to what he had to say after the game. What's your confidence level in this team going forward? Huh? What's your confidence level in the team going forward? What do you mean? Just in terms of, like, you know. You what kind of question team. is that? <laughs> a, a legitimate question. I mean, I just, you know. Nah. How do you feel about this team? Uh, next question. Final question for Kyrie. <laughs> he didn't but, like the question, but if you lose, those are the type of questions you're going to get. And I get, I get that he's fro- You think it's a stupid question? It's a stupid question. We, we oh, mean. he's got to do his job. It's a reporter. He's got to ask a tough question after a game. Wait, so a reporter, a reporter's job is to ask a player, what's your confidence level in this team? What, what, as a reporter, you don't think, you think Kyrie's going to give you an answer to that question? Like, seriously. If you would ask that question, Danny, you think you'd get an answer from Kyrie on what's your confidence level on this team? I think if you're a Celtics fan, you would want to hear Kyrie say, you know what, it's a loss, we're having a rough patch, but I have confidence we're going to get this thing figured out. 
I mean, I don't know. I okay. Like if you're a Celtics <laughs> right. fan, but like I, you know, if you're running up on Kyrie asking him, there's only, I guess, to Kyrie's point, what do you expect me to say? There's only one thing I can really say to that, and that's what you just said, Danny. You expect that man to come out and be like, yeah, dog, no, we're not, we're not very good, we're not going to get it done. I don't have a lot of confidence that this is going to work. So I guess, I mean, I'm asking questions where a player could potentially go one way or the other, and I don't think Kyrie had anywhere to go there. But like, yes, I think we're going to win. I think we have a lot of opportunities here to get better. And whoop de whoop de whoop. So I didn't love the question, but. You know, I do wonder how much confidence some of those guys have in their ability um, to win down the stretch. I, I I think this is one of those things where like there's a superficial like facade that you that, that you have like on the surface, all of those guys are like, yeah, man, we can do this. And then they go home and they're they're in their inner circle, or they're talking to their wife or you know whatever their crew is sitting around playing video games. I don't know what some of these young guys do, and they're like, yo, we're in trouble, bro. Like this isn't this isn't working well. Like we're not, you know, we haven't been productive. Uh, offensively, they're shooting the ball terribly. They're 0-4 since the All-Star break. So I do think when some of these guys go home and you don't get that public, you know, that public, uh, 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 exterior or facade that they put on, I think some of those guys would tell you there's some real, real concern there, uh, genuinely for what they're going to be able to do in the playoffs this year. So when Kyrie was with the Cavs and LeBron, kind of word was that Kyrie didn't like being second fiddle. Like he wanted to have his own team. I don't know if he's having regrets, but I'm having doubts about whether he can handle that title, that kind of leadership, that type of responsibility to be the face of a franchise like he's getting now because of some of the frustrations you're play that are playing out, like him saying, you know, of the younger guys and like calling out some of the effort and calling the things that are gotten there. And it just seems like he's not either ready for this role or he's not cut out for it. Yeah, I think that Kyrie is still kind of immature. Um, I'm immature. I'm 42 years old, right? So, like, I want I want to be fair to Kyrie, but I think he's still got some growing to do in terms of being a leader. Um, and I do think it's fair. I think Kyrie is one of those guys where you know, a couple years ago I said Gordon Hayward was not a number one guy. Like, he wasn't the guy um, that you could put the saddle on and ask to take you home. I do think Kyrie is that from a skill set pers- perspective, but from a leadership perspective, I think he's a a one B. So he needs a one A. Or he's the 1A and he needs a clear 1B. And I don't think there is one of those on the Celtics team. Someone has to be there that's of the same star status of Kyrie to kind of keep him on the reservation and keep him accountable for what could potentially happen um, if things were to go sideways. I don't believe he has that in Boston. And so that's why I think that if you paired him with, I don't know, Kevin Durant, they'd be fine. When you pair him with LeBron, they'd be fine. You pair him with someone like that, he's fine. You pair him with what the Boston Celtics have, which are a bunch of good young pieces, and the veterans like Gordon and Al Horford and the the Morris, you know, brother. They're all clearly a level below Kyrie. I don't think that's a great recipe for Kyrie or the team uh, that Kyrie's playing on in terms of being able to win a championship. Welcome back to Canel and Bell, our last socially relevant guys. You ready for it? There's a lot of pressure Let's around this it. one right now. All right. It looks like the New York Mets need to dust off some of their skills outside of the diamond. So Mets outfielder Brandon Nimmo, he missed a game workout. He missed a workout and a game this week because it turns out his cooking skills need a little TLC. So apparently he tried to make himself some chicken. He ended up undercooking it and got himself sick all night. So guys, remember when Noah Syndergaard had hand, foot, and mouth disease last year? Like, What is with <laughs> these weird health issues and the Mets? Raja, I know you can't relate because you don't eat chicken. <laughs> no, but it's always a huge fear of mine when I cook the chicken, though, Hannah, because I don't eat it, admittedly, but I love to cook it, is undercooking it. Because I was at, like, I don't know, I was 13. Uh, this kid had a huge birthday party. Uh, we had a huge basketball game on Monday. 
all, our whole basketball team was there, and they all had all this barbecue chicken, and I was the only one that didn't eat it. All of them had salmonella poisoning. Like, nobody could play on Monday. I was the only one that came out unscathed. So I'm always aware of, like, making sure the chicken is cooked well enough. That's yeah. the first thing. Like, it's like cooking 101. Like, I remember my mom, when I went to college, I was like, I'm going to cook some chicken. She's like, make sure you cook it enough or you're going to get salmonella. Like, how can you not know this as a grown man? You've got to know the basic minutes <laughs> of cooking. Right. You've got to cook the thing. It's true. I've had salmonella poisoning, and I would not wish it on my worst enemy. No, it's the worst thing in the world. All right, moving on. <laughs> We've had a lot of talk on the show about NFL players playing basketball in the offseason, but now one team is proving that they're unbothered by it. So Chargers defensive backs Derwin James and Casey Hayward were seen shooting hoops together, and the Chargers clearly did not seem to mind because they posted it to their Twitter page. It's a good play, oh. right? Good dunk. But looking at the Patrick Mahomes of it all, guys, are you surprised that the Chargers were so cool with this? Oh, I mean, look, what? Who is the big dude with the with the shirt over the shirt? That's a different style of game than Patrick Mahomes was in, right? That's like a two-on-two. Um, and I right. do think there should be something said for how many bodies are on the court, right? Because if you're playing in a small LA fitness gym, which are typically like little boxes, it's not really a full court. And you've got ten dudes out there. There's a lot of potential for you to get hurt if you're just in a two-on-two. I mean, it's gonna be kind of hard for you to be like landing on somebody's leg or something like that. So I'm okay with it. And there's always that one dude that wants to be a hero, like, oh, and he yeah. wants to be the one that blocks you or something, and he's just clueless. Did you see what Clemson with Dabo Sweeney did? Because that Trevor Lawrence video went viral, and right. Dabo Sweeney's like. I'll go play with him. He actually got in the game with his players, yes. which I think yes. is great because he's like, hey, if they're going to play, I'll play with them. So I think that's one way to handle it. Yeah. All right. We all forget things occasionally, right? Like, Danny, you're on vacation and you forgot your microphone, right? I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> the, sorry. The men's <laughs> basketball team from Indiana University of Pennsylvania brought forgetfulness to a whole new level this week. They forgot their uniforms. So luckily their hosts were nice enough to let them wear their old away jerseys. For the matchup, but still, guys, how does this happen? Like, that's got to be so embarrassing. Um, hey, there's an equipment manager somewhere that just lost. Like, I don't know if it was a job or a scholarship or whatever, whatever you were being compensated with to to do that job, you just forfeited it. <laughs> right, and it probably wasn't a lot of money, but this is not on the players because the players do they do all they do they put it back in the laundry and then it's done and they expect it to be there. I love seeing the players' reactions when they arrive for the game and they're just like going to their lockers and going through their stuff and like where are jerseys? Right. <laughs> they don't have anything to play with. So yeah, I would I would guess that there's probably going to be somebody fired after this one. Mm -hmm. Over to some NFL players who are using their offseason time wisely, guys. They're on vacation. So it's Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley, and Sterling Shepard. They've all been living it up in Turks and Caicos together. This past week, Baker brought his fiance. Saquon's there with his girlfriend, and Sterling's wife, Chanel Iman, is there too. But guys, these two are competing all season long for Rookie of the Year. They were the two top picks in the draft. It's kind of cool to see them taking vacations together, right? Yeah, I love yeah, it. I why think not? get them out there. Yeah, get your boy. Like and these guys build relationships through the draft process at the Super Bowl. Like all of these places, some of them share agents, and it's good. Like this is more of a newer trend that we've seen in the last decade, really, since social media took off, because it's easier to start a relationship with a guy that you're not on the same team with. Like before, you wouldn't talk to them because you'd never see them anywhere unless you trained in Florida or something. But now it's easy to start a friendship. So why not go on vacation together? I yeah. I'm digging it 100%. And what, whose name did you say in terms of the fiance? Who was that? Chanel Iman. I didn't I, say a fiance's name. Chanel Iman is married to Sterling Shepard. Okay. So, but who is, why should I, should I know her? You said her name. You, 
Oh, she's she, a mom. Have you seen like the Fire Festival documentary? She's all over that. Oh, oh okay. She's one of those. <laughs> all right, I hear you, Sterling Shepard. Well, well played, sir. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, so over to what happened on the hardwood last night. The Lakers took down the Pelicans 125 to 119, but there was an issue at the very start of the clock. So Anthony Davis hit the first bucket of the game, and the scoreboard gave the points to the Lakers. Yo. Instead, guys, Davis was nearly dealt to the Lakers at the deadline. Was the scorekeeper just a few months premature here on this call? And was this intentional? He had to that, know. That had to be intentional, right? That'd be great if it was. That guy's trolling the Pelicans right there. Like that's that. another guy that's getting fired this morning. This happens. So this happens in my youth league with my daughters when I coach my do- my girls team. Is sometimes you know the scores are not that with it. Like that's like a parent who they pulled out of the stands and. My girls instantly, it's like, forget the game. It doesn't matter if they're supposed to get back on defense. They're like checking the scoreboard as soon as right. it happens. I'm like, don't worry about it. They'll get it figured out. They're like, wait a second. The other team's like blowing by them for an easy layup. They're all looking at the scoreboard. It happens yeah. all the time. I think that's fantastic. I hope he did that on purpose. That'd be a great story to tell. Yeah. All right, lastly, guys, I feel like you guys have been really quiet today, by the way, and I need I need <laughs> no, the hot no, takes on this last one. Spirits okay? are down, Hannah. Like, I know. We're, no, I am, I'm depressed on, right now. All right. Last but not least, all eyes were really on Dwayne Wade's one last dance last night. So the Heat were hosting the Warriors. We saw D. Wade win it all in his classic buzzer-beater fashion. Wade went up for the shot, was blocked by Jordan Bell with just over one second left. The ball fell back to Wade, and he banked the game-winning three-pointer off one foot as time expired. So the shot marked the fifth game-winning field goal as time expired of Wade's career. After the game, Raj, you'll love this one. Wade gave credit to Kobe, saying, thank you for showing me the way Mamba mentality. Guys, personally, I don't think I'm ready for him to retire after watching this. Um, yeah, you know what? It's interesting though. All jokes aside, Dwayne Wade is not playing like an old man. Like he's, no, he's, he's not. not. Like he looks like he does have something in the tank. Steph Curry even said it after the game. Um, you know, he's not vintage Dwayne Wade, but he certainly looks like a guy who could continue to play, you know, in some capacity for a few more years. Uh, but since this is his farewell tour, um, even with the fresh cornrows and all, like I thought that was a great moment. You were wondering when he was going to have a moment this year. Mm-hmm. Like, there aren't going to be a ton of them, but that is a signature moment. Like, against Golden State, you know, at home, like, I thought it was pretty cool, man. I, he, he deserves it. He's done so much for South Florida and the NBA. Like, good for you, D-Wade. Oh good to miss you, Hannah. Guys. It's been fun. Best Thank of luck. You guys. We'll keep our listeners uh, up to date on where you're headed, all right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Good Hannah. So, welcome back. Ken Ellen Bell finished off some leftovers. So, Raja, you and Coca have had some laughs here at my uh, my look here. This is my winter. It is kind of like Rocky in four when he goes to Russia and he's training in yeah. the snow. That's yeah. what I'm about to do. I'm going to go out here in Colorado and get in a workout. We had to carry the, the uh, logs around in this outfit. Right. But uh, our boy Debo put something out there. And some of the comments, this is why you're not on Twitter. Um, our boy Dan Orlovsky said, now you see me to Woody Harrelson. I do get Woody Harrelson a lot. I think uh, <laughs> I do have some similar facials. One of them said a South Park character, a lot of Eminem because he wears the, uh, the gray. So the one, right. why is Danny looking like my grandma trying to figure out how to use FaceTime? That's that fantastic. Yeah. Michael Rappaport, which you said, that one came in, uh, pretty good too. Right. I think it's, I think it's a toss up between either Bradley Cooper or Brad Pitt. Like one of those <laughs> two. I think it's like, those are my almost identical twins. So right. we'll have to see if right. anybody responds to those. We'll have to see. Um, yesterday was kind of a, a news item that kind of flew under the radar and had some people scratching their heads was Johnny Manziel, who had been playing in Canada, had not been playing very good, was released by his team. And it was kind of an odd statement from the league. Uh, their CFL commissioner said, we're trying to do what we believe is in the best interest of the entire league. The conditions we set 
we thought were the right ones. Those conditions have been violated, and we feel it's best, and Montreal feels it's best, to let Johnny move on, and we think it's best for our league that he does the same, and we wish him well. It's just weird in this another twist in the Johnny Manziel career, and I think it's sad. Like I feel bad for him. The guy was a, a Heisman Trophy winner. He was an incredible college football player. I didn't think it'd work out in the NFL, but, and, but I thought he'd have some success in Canada, and it's just like this huge fall from a guy who was one of the most talked about players in all of football, really college or pro, and to see him now looking for work again, it's kind of sad. Like, I hope he gets another opportunity, whether it's in the AAF or the XFL, um, because I love comeback stories, and ultimately I think that'd be good, but I just don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah, well, look, this guy's got some real demons, apparently, and while I'm okay with the comeback story, if you keep getting second chances and you keep blowing them, at some point the door's got to shut, and I believe his door to be shut. Um, I watched his first game that he really played up there in the Canadian League, and he looked terrible. Like, he had a terrible game. Some of that you would attribute to different rules and three downs and, you know, all of that stuff. But um, at that point, I was like, all right, look, clearly it's going to take some time for him to, like, get up to game speed and 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 kind of round his, his quarterback play back into shape. But what he cannot do here is break any rules or be, you know, get sideways with the club for his actions or anything like that that would be require disciplinary action. If he does that, it is a wrap for him, and he did that, and now it is a wrap for him. Like, will he pop up in some arbitrary, like, football league at some point? Yep, possibly. But there's no real future in professional football for Johnny Manziel after this one. Yeah, I hope there's some part of me that's holding out hope that it's not, like, substance abuse related or domestic violence, uh, anything that's plagued yeah. him in the past. Like, I hope it's something like maybe he was flirting with the AAF or the XFL and possibly signing with them. And that that's the violation of his contract. But it doesn't sound like that. It sounds more serious. So I'm a little bit worried about, you know, what's really going on behind the scenes. Um, yesterday, you guys, I was out, but you guys got to talk about Fran McCaffrey, who uh, the Iowa head coach who was caught by a reporter, basically dressing down an official after the game. Since this reporter made it public, and it was very specific, there was a couple bleepity bleeps and a bleepity bleep this, and it said bleepity bleep <laughs> cheater and all this. He comes out and he gets a suspension, a two-game suspension. I think all of this is really messed up because I guarantee you a lot of coaches yell that and a lot worse during games because nobody reports it. You never know about it. I thought that this is like – this is the Twitter mob getting upset and the media was very upset about it saying, oh, my gosh, how, how could this coach do this? I think this is just another kind of overreaction story from the media where we lose our mind and it probably happens all the time. Um, I have a few thoughts on this. Number one uh... – Fran McCaffrey, I do believe other coaches have probably yelled at at officials because plenty of coaches feel like that. Um, at certain times, if your team is getting the short end of the stick and you, and you, and you think that's what's, what's transpiring and then you lose a game and to, to boot, Fran McCaffrey had a son in the game who got a technical foul. And when your child is involved, it always amplifies, uh, the feelings that you have. So like, I don't think that he is the only coach that's ever done it, but I'm one of those guys that if you get caught, bro, like, it is what it is. So I'm okay with the punishment. You know what I mean? Like if, if you got caught, uh, calling him a cheating mother, mother, then you got to live with the consequences. I'm okay with them finding him. Um, sometimes fines are worth it. Like real talk. Like people ask me about the Kobe situation all the time. And while like I put my team and I tell my children, like, don't ever do that. Like I put my team in a really precarious situation. Like I could have cost us, you know, an opportunity to win. And for all those reasons, I regretted it. But I'm okay with the fine. Like, 
It cost me a lot of money, but it made me feel better. So, Fran McCaffrey, <laughs> right. if, if calling right. him a cheating mother mother and you taking a $10,000 fine in two games makes you feel better, good for you. I'm not tripping right. off of it. More power to you. So, if anybody's uh, just tuning in and they haven't heard the latest news from the Combine, Kyler Murray has uh, weighed in, has taken his height 5'10 and an eighth, 207 he weighed in at. I think this is a big win for him because I do think psychologically 5'9 doesn't sound as big. My question is, what was his SID doing tweeting out early in the draft process? No, he's not 5'8. He's 5'9 and 7'8 who got it wrong. But it makes you wonder, do you think he got one of those massages where they can stretch out your vertebrae and then they can actually extend you? Because you can do that. Look, with the amount of money on the line, I'm sure they explored every he probably hung upside down like with those boots that are those boots and stretched out his spinal column like he would have explored every avenue to get an extra half of an inch uh for the combine this morning yeah for sure we'll keep you up to date on all that and everything else in the combine you, you snowboarding or skiing bro i'm going to get my training in i'm going to go run up some mountains carry some logs let's go i'm ready <laughs>